Do you want to have a better understanding of what the Holy Trinity is all about? Do you want to know why it's so central to the Christian faith and what difference the Holy Trinity makes to our lives? Then welcome to this episode of the Busy Christian Podcast. Yes, welcome to the Busy Christian Podcast with me, Steve Griffiths. Whether you're watching the video podcast on YouTube or whether you're listening to the audio podcast on your preferred platform, you are more than welcome. Today, we are thinking about what it means to believe in God as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, Here's an early disclaimer. We can never fully understand the Trinity because it's the definition of who God is, and God is bigger than our brains and our capacity to understand him. But I hope we can get a glimpse together of how this idea of the Trinity works and use our imagination and creativity to see the big picture. And it's so important to grapple with this idea because it is foundational for the Christian faith. And what it's one of the things that marks Christianity out from other systems of belief. So today I want to walk with you through three stages. Firstly, to define what the Trinity actually is. Secondly, to think about some developments in the history of the church where the idea of the Trinity was challenged. And then thirdly, to think about some practical ways in which the Trinity is at work in our lives. So let's get straight into it. Okay, let's start off by getting a working definition of what the Holy Trinity actually is. And I would say this, God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is only one God. Okay, I think we need to unpack that a bit. Firstly, God exists as three persons, three individual persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, for the first few hundred years, the church actually didn't have a problem with this idea. For the first few hundred years, the church grappled with the question, how can three persons be one God? But nowadays, we seem to struggle the other way around. The question we ask is, how can one God be three persons? But it's important that we hold these two ideas in tension, one God and three persons, because it's at the very heart of who we believe God is. They are three individual persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And each of these three persons have a different role to play in the activity of God. One criticism of Christianity I quite often get, and you might get this as well, is people saying that the Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. Well, if you're looking for the word Trinity, That may be right, maybe it isn't uh, in the scriptures, but there are dozens of passages that refer to God as Trinity. Now, we're not going to go through them all today, but uh, here's a few to get you started. John 14, verse 26, Jesus, the Son, says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all that I've told you. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in other passages as well, it's clear that each person of the Trinity is treated as being fully God. The Father is fully God. Right from verse 1 of Genesis, where God creates the heavens and the earth, through the Old Testament stories where God is portrayed as the father of the people of Israel, right through the gospel narratives where Jesus continually calls God 
Father, through the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, the Father is clearly portrayed as God. And Jesus is fully God as well. In John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas meets with the risen Christ and he says, My Lord and my God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is called the exact likeness of God's own being. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus is described as our great God and Saviour. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, Paul writes that the full content of divine nature lives in Christ, in his humanity. Do you catch that? The full content of divine nature lives in Christ, in his humanity. And the Holy Spirit as well is fully God. In Psalm 139 verses 7 to 8, uh, there's a very well-known passage where David says to God the Father, Where shall I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, But it was to us that God made known his secret by means of his spirit. Only God's spirit knows all about God. So the Holy Spirit is clearly fully God in many verses as well. So although the word Trinity may not be mentioned in Scripture, there's loads of inferences and more than inferences that suggest that the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit are all fully God. There's loads more verses we could draw on, but you get the point. Each person in the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, is 100% fully God. It's not like they are all 33.33% recurring of God, and you add them all up and you kind of get to 100% God. No, each one of them is 100% God, and the sum total of these three persons is one God. Not three gods, but one God. There's a classic statement of our faith in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, where it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Lord is one. Isaiah 45, verse 5, has the same idea where God says this, I am the Lord, there is no other God. Turn to me now and be saved, people all over the world. I am the only God there is. So it's not three gods, it's one God. And each uh, member of the Trinity, each person of the Trinity, is fully God within their own right as well. And it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, the writers agree with this too. In uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 30, Paul says, God is one. James chapter 2, verse 19 do you believe that there's only one God? Good. So there's only one God, but he's comprised of three persons, each of whom is fully God. Now, that's not to say that the church hasn't struggled with this idea over the centuries. Of course it has. It's incredibly complex, isn't it? And it goes beyond uh, human rationality to be able to grasp this idea that three 100% equal 100%. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a complex idea. So, of course, the church has struggled with it. And to help us kind of get our heads around the struggle a little bit, I just want to give you four examples of ideas from history where the notion of God as Trinity has been challenged. So this is, a, this is the science bit, if you like, from uh, church history. So four ideas of how the notion of Trinity has been challenged. And the first is what we call modalism, or we might call it Sabellianism. And it's named after the theologian called Sibelius in the fourth century. And the idea 
behind modalism was that God is not three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but that God is one, and he takes on one of these three roles at any one time. So, for example, someone might say, uh, someone who believes this might say, that God was experienced as Father during the Old Testament times, and then experienced as the Son during the time of Jesus, and then experienced as the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. So just one God, but taking on different roles at different times. Well, this idea was uh, firmly rejected by the church in the early 4th century. And then a second idea is what we call Arianism. And it's named after a priest in Alexandria called Arius in the 4th century. And Arius argued that the Son was not fully God because he hadn't existed from all eternity. He was just the first and the greatest of God the Father's creations. And his ideas were rejected at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and the Nicene Creed was then established, which we still use in many churches today, of course, um, which says this about Jesus. He is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So a very clear condemnation of Arianism that actually in the modern day context is uh, most clearly reflected probably through the uh, belief system of the Jehovah's Witnesses actually, um, which would endorse uh, much of Arian's uh, teachings. And the third challenge to our understanding of Trinity is what is called um, Nestorianism, after Nestorius, who was the Bishop of Constantinople in 428. And um, Nestorius argued that Jesus had two separate natures, not one. He had a divine nature, which was the God bit, and he had a human nature, and that it was the human bit that died on the cross, but not the divine bit. And again, there was a big council this time at Ephesus where they talked about Nestorius' ideas and uh, they were rejected there. And then the fourth challenge to the doctrine of the Trinity is, and are you ready for this name? If I can say it properly, monophysitism. (laughs) Monophysitism. Um, Mono uh, is a word that means one and physis means nature. So it literally means one nature. And the idea behind this was that Jesus only had one nature at a time. At some times he was fully God and at other times he was fully human, but he was never both at the same time. And again, when this idea came up in the early church, another council was called to discuss it um, at Chalcedon in 451 and the church rejected the idea there. So there's been lots of challenges to our understanding of God as Trinity, but it's such a foundational idea to our faith that it's had to be strongly defended across the centuries. And uh, even today, there's a lot of challenge Um, because it's a difficult concept to understand, because it's counterintuitive and it goes against our rational thinking. And it is a mystery and it will ever remain a mystery. How the Father can be 100% God, Jesus can be 100% God, the Holy Spirit can be 100% God, and yet the sum totality of them is one God. It is counterintuitive, and it is, of course, a doctrine that continues to be challenged to this day, but it's at the very heart of what we believe. And without the Trinity, Christianity would not be Christianity. So that's the science, if you like. Well, what about how each member of the Trinity engages with us and the world? How do we experience the Trinity in our own lives?
Okay, let's just look at four examples of how each member of the Trinity is at work in the world and how we experience that for ourselves. Firstly, each member of the Trinity was and is involved in the creation of the world. The idea of creation originated in the mind of God the Father. But the universe was actually created through God the Son. You remember those beautiful words in that hymn by Graham Kendrick, The Servant King, that lovely line where it says, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. That's a beautiful expression of Jesus and his role, or, or the Son of God and his role in the act of creation. And then the Holy Spirit is involved in creation as well, because the Holy Spirit breathes life into creation. And it's through the breath of the Spirit that creation continues every moment of every day. So there's a good example of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together, but in slightly different ways, in the creation of all things. Secondly, each member of the Trinity was and is involved in our salvation. The idea of salvation originated in the mind of the Father. And the final result of salvation, of course, is that we are adopted as his children. That's the end game of Christianity, if you like, is that each one of us becomes an adopted child of God the Father and we can live in a relationship with him. But the Son, Jesus, actually makes salvation happen by dying on a cross for us and defeating the power of sin and death. And so it's through the cross that we have access to become God's children, God the Father's children. And it's the Holy Spirit who lives in each believer who helps us to live out our salvation on a day-by-day basis. The Holy Spirit, when we become Christians, comes and dwells within us. And through the Spirit at work within us, we develop fruit and gifts And we are constantly in the process of becoming holy so that the truth of salvation becomes a reality in our lives. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all at work in slightly different ways in our salvation. Thirdly, each member of the Trinity is involved in our mission and evangelism. We are sent by the Father to share his love with others. But the Christian message of hope and forgiveness is enabled by the Son who died for us. And we don't go out in mission in our own strength. We go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son and Holy Spirit, each playing a part in our mission and our evangelism. And fourthly, each member of the Trinity is involved in our own prayer life as well. When we pray, we pray to the Father. It's him we are speaking to. But it's the Son who makes access to the Father possible. Do you remember in John's Gospel, Jesus said, I am the gate, and we go through the gate to the Father. Jesus sort of opens up the way through which we can have access to the Father through his death on the cross. But when we pray, we don't have any power within ourselves, of ourselves, to make that connection with God. So we pray to the Father through the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So all three persons of the Trinity are constantly active in our lives. For example, in creation, in salvation, in mission and evangelism, and in prayer. And of course, in many other ways too. So God, the Holy Trinity, relates to us 
and to the whole of creation, each with their own specific roles. And of course, even though there's only one God, the three members of the Trinity share a relationship of love with one another. The Son is the Son of the Father. The Father is the Father of the Son. And the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. There's a loving relationship, a divine activity going on between the three persons of the Trinity. And if we want to reflect God in the world through our own way of living, then we must reflect that love to other people. Ultimately, the reason that God is love is not because he loves us. The reason God is love is because love is the very definition and activity of who he is within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in a relationship of love, and that is why love is at the very heart of what it means to live as a Christian as we try to reflect God to other people. So the Trinity then is at the heart of what we believe about God. The Trinity is the perfect example of love and we as Christians are called to take God into the world and we do that by our words as we proclaim the truth about God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and we also do it by our deeds as we reflect God's love to all those whom we meet.